You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. And those of you that are joining us online, welcome. If you are a guest, I'm Brian, one of the pastors, I'm grateful that you would join us today. Um, this is a, an opportunity for us um, to conclude our sermon series through the book of Psalms. Uh, this summer, we have been journeying through the book of Psalms, much like we did last summer, and we have come to the conclusion of it for this year. Uh, this has been kind of a good thing that we've been able to navigate through over the last two years, and um, pray that you have enjoyed it. Uh, but as we've been going through this, we've been looking at uh, the reality of the human experience in this life, and at times we've seen psalms of joy, psalms of lamenting, psalms of praise, psalms of just working through pain and wrestling with things, and even asking questions, and I want to encourage you as we look at this song today, and just think ahead for next week as well. Next week, we're going to dive into a four-week series on prayer, and uh, we're going to be calling it Radical Prayers. It's an opportunity for us to look at some big prayers to be asking of God um, in our relationship with Him and the way in which we live, work, and play, all of those things. So I really want to encourage you over these next four weeks especially to join us and help us to uh, see what God has to say uh, in these things. Um, I remember when I was in uh, elementary school and also in middle, uh, I, I really struggled in those years because as I was going through those times, um, much like I am today, I was a bigger guy and uh, there were a lot of bullies that I had to navigate going around and being near and, and all of that. And I remember just late elementary through middle school years, people that I hoped were my friends or that I thought were my friends they ended up not being my friends. And I really struggled in that season because I was like, man, I, I want to be known by these people. Like, I, I, I want these people to know me and get to be my friend and care for me. And, and I do the same for them. And I just kind of felt like I was just wandering through, just really navigating some really difficult times during those years. And I remember when I got into high school at North Charleston, I really began to find that good core group of, of guys and gals that were really good friends of mine that really stayed true. Uh, there were some that still came and went throughout the time, but I remember just reflecting on that time, especially in elementary and middle, where it was like, man, nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. I don't have like this solid relationship with people. And I was longing for that. I wanted people to know me, and I wanted to know them. I want to ask you today, have you ever experienced that? I'm not, I'm not just talking about in school. I'm talking about life. You ever just gone through and just been like, man, I, I don't feel like anybody really knows me. I'm longing for that. I'm longing for somebody to know me and, and to call me friend, to, to be there present. I think we all would say yes, because the way in which God has made us is to all be relational. We, we long for that. But as we're going to see in the passage today, there is one who knows us completely, who has known us before we even were born, who made us so beautifully in our mother's womb, and that is the Lord. I've entitled the message today, Known by the Creator. Known by the Creator. And we're looking at Psalm 139 
as was said earlier. And this psalm is written by David. And much of our psalms that we've seen this summer, they've been written by David. And David is writing this, and it says there in the, in the note right above the passage, it says to the choir master, a psalm of David. This is written in, in regard to be used as a song of praise unto God. Much like we just sang a moment ago from Psalm 139. Those lyrics pulled directly from this psalm. So we're going to see how David asked the one who made him to truly search him and know him. Before we do that, though, it's a little bit of a lengthier passage. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to dive right in with our notes. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, the opportunity we've had so far, Lord, to sing these songs to you, Lord, to praise you for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, it's so incredible to reflect on the fact that people will come and go in our lives through highs, through lows, but Lord, there's a constant that constant is you. Lord, we are truly fully known by you because you formed us. You created us. You love us. You stay with us. Lord, we pray now, Lord, over these next few moments that we will learn more about you and your care for us through this passage. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. Lord, may you have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we jump into this passage today, we are going to see that the Lord knows his people intimately. He never leaves us. He's always caring, and he will always have the final word. And with that said, I hope you're taking notes. You can see it there on the screen. Uh, you can read along with the screen as well, or you can grab one of those Bibles there in front of you in the pew. But the first point is the Lord knows us intimately. The Lord knows us intimately. Verse one says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. We see in the opening verse here of this passage that David sets the framework for this Psalms theme. The first six verses of this passage of Psalm 139 that we are reading right now, it shows us and it points to God's omniscience, the fact that God is all-knowing. David has said that he has searched him and he knows him. You see, for David, this is a declaration. He understands that the sovereign God rules and reigns over this world, and he is boldly declaring this truth unto God. Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Think about that. The Lord has searched him and knows him. The Lord has searched us, church family, and he knows us. Verse 2 and verse 3, let's read together. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You see, the beauty is because God is all-knowing, we are his creation, and so God knows what there is to know of us. He knows when we sit down. He knows when we rise up. You know, he's able to, throw, to know our thoughts from afar, and he knows when we go to and fro. He's acquainted with all our ways. 
You see, God's not surprised. He's not surprised by what we do, how we go about in our daily lives. Why? Because he's everywhere. He's all knowing. He's all seeing. He is the Lord. We're his creation. And he knows us intimately. So incredible to think about. Verse four, but even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. See, David even says, going a little bit deeper, God, you know what I'm going to say even before it utters off my tongue. Think about that. Don't do a show of hands, but think about it for a moment. How many times do we say bad things? We say bad things about other people. James, James talks about that in his book. He talks about how the heart, I mean, excuse me, the tongue, it, it can be a very destructive weapon. This little thing in our mouths can cause so much damage. The words that we say, the Lord knows them even before we say them. I don't know about you, but as I was studying through this, that's a good reminder for us to wrestle with and remember, man, the Lord knows what I'm going to say even before I say it. Maybe I need to uh, process what I'm going to say before I say it. Verse 5, David continues with this idea of the Lord knowing him intimately. You hem me in and behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. That word there, him, in the Hebrew, it means to confine, to bind, to besiege. So what is David saying there? He says the Lord confines or binds us. Now this is not taken literally because the second half of verse five gives the company notion that the Lord lays his hand upon David. See, this shows that the Lord cares for his people. There is nothing that will ultimately overtake the people of God. God never leaves nor forsake us. More about that in a moment. He intimately knows his people. David is continuing to praise God in this, this song that he's singing unto God as he writes it, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. David concludes this stanza, this portion of the psalm, declaring how wonderful the knowledge of God is. There's no way that any mortal man, sinful person, can attain this. This is only of God and therefore must be looked at with the most reverent awe. We talked about that throughout the summer as we see different places talking about the fear of the Lord. We should reverently fear God for who he is. This is hard to comprehend for David. I don't know about you, but at times it seems hard to comprehend all of this ourselves, right? See, the beauty of this truth is that God, the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, knows us fully, intimately. And there's nowhere that we can go from him. Why? Well, let's look at point number two. The Lord is always with us. The Lord is always with us. David begins this stanza with a list of rhetorical questions pointing to God's omnipresence. The fact that it means that God is everywhere. He already looked at the fact that he's all-knowing. Now God is everywhere. Verse 7. We read in verse 7. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He's asking the historical question, where am I going to go? There's nowhere that I can go. Why? Verses 8 and 9 together read, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he gives this idea and he points to the fact that these two different opposites, these two examples of these opposites are being used. Heaven and Sheol and the wings of the morning and the uttermost parts of the sea. He describes how everything in between all of that, it is all the Lord's. He is present. He is there. Heaven, Sheol, the place of the dead. When he says they're the wings of the morning, it's the farthest east as the sun rises. The uttermost parts of the sea, the far end of the Mediterranean to the west of Israel. So it gives us this picture up, down, left, right. The Lord is everywhere. Where can I go? I can't go anywhere without you being there. Verse 10 tells us, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even in the two cases of polar opposites, the Lord's hand shall lead his people and his right hand shall hold them. I don't know about you, but that should bring great comfort. Because if the Lord is everywhere, if the Lord intimately knows us, the promise is there from the scriptures, from the Holy Spirit divinely inspiring David as he pins it, that the Lord will hold us. He will be with us. He will guide us. Verses 11 and 12 read, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is a light with you. You see, when we get there to verses 11 and 12, David begins to contemplate hiding from God in the dark. Dark as night. And just as Danny Aiken, the, the commentator, he's the president of Southeastern Seminary, he says in the commentary, that is a foolish thought. It's a foolish thought to think, Man, I can get away from the Lord in the dark. Why? Darkness is not dark to God. He sees everything and everywhere, no matter the darkness. Verse 12 again declares this truth. No matter what we do to retreat in conviction of our sin or go into hiding, God is there. I'm reminded of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And instead of Jonah going to Nineveh, he flees and goes the opposite direction as if he's going to run away from God. Yet what does the Lord do? He gets thrown out of the boat. Jonah gets swallowed up by a whale. God still is like, man, where are you going to go? It's spat out into the land. Like, you can't run from me. If God knows all that there is to know of us, and he is always with us, then that should tell us something. We've already seen highlights of this as we've been going through with the, the hand of the Lord being upon us. It means that number three, the Lord cares for us. The Lord cares for us. See, now we see God's omnipotence, his unlimited power. And David describes this in a very intimate way for the reader to understand. He created us in our mother's womb. 
Let's read 13 through 15 together. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see, we see right there in the beginning of that part of verse 13, David says four. It's to connect what he's already said between the first two stanzas to now. It's because of these things that the Lord formed and created us. Only he can do this. Only he could do this. He created us. He formed our inward parts. Think about that. You see, going through biology class and anatomy, you see just how intricately the the, the human body is created. All of our organs, every bit of our internal system, it is a masterpiece created by the creator, God. We see the way in which we have all of these internal organs and how they function and why they function and what they're there for. How things are all connected. The Lord knit them all together in our mother's womb. Verse 14 is a declaration of praise from David to God. Knowing all of this about the Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Such a beautiful truth. Think about that. Each of us distinctively made in the image of God. Each and every one of us. Think about that. If you look at your hands, no fingerprint of anybody else matches yours. Such a grand design that God created. Forming us in our mother's womb. This is our mighty, majestic God. Then when we get back to 15, it it says they're being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Don't want you to think that David there is saying that God creates us in the earth. He's using this poetic imagery. Remember now, Adam was created from the dirt. But what he is saying there, it gives this poetic imagery there of the darkness, the the dark of the womb there, God creating us, forming us together. But what does David say going further from that? 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Don't miss that. Before we were formed, the Lord knew us. The Lord knew that we would come. Before we were formed, the Lord knew our days. They're all written in his book. Even before the days started, the Lord knew them. How incredible is our God? It's fascinating. Only he could do this. This shows the importance of the human life. That God would take the time to know us and create us. 
David continues in 17 and 18. How precious, are to, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. See, it's reflecting upon these truths of the things that David has already said and the fact that he has been made in, our, in his mother's womb, how we have been made in our mother's womb, that David responds in praise to God with these two verses. He burst out in praise. The thoughts of the Lord are precious towards us. They are never ending. He, he, he indicates there that if he were to try to go and count all the different ways in which the Lord thinks of us and cares for us, it would be like the grains of the sands on the beach. Think about that. I know people in here like to go to the beach. You've been to the beach. You stand out there and you look. If you were to just take one scoop while you're trying to build a sandcastle for your child and try to count all of those little bitty pieces of sand, it's impossible. David is saying, just like the sands, it's so precious to me. Your thoughts, O God, they are so vast, the sum of them. They are more than the sand. And I like how there he says at the end of verse 18, I awake and I am still with you. Now you can take this as the the Brian translation if you want, but I was thinking through this and we wake up daily and we're still with the Lord as he gives us breath in our lungs to live. But I was really struck by thinking through that in a future sense. Because as we're going through that, I awake and I am still with you. We have this idea and this, uh, this reminder that every single day we're there, we wake up, the Lord is there, he's present with us, but then there will be that one day in the future where on this side of heaven, we will take our last breath, but then we will automatically, instantly awake in the presence of the Lord, and we will be with him Forever. So incredible to think of. The Lord knows us. He knows us intimately because He fashioned us together, each in our own distinct way. Man, how incredible is that? Now, we're going to see here in a moment that the tone of the psalm, it changes a little bit. That's going to bring us to our final point. The Lord has the final word in verses 19 through 24. And David is going to talk about the wicked. Who are the wicked? They are those who are enemies of God. If they are enemies of God, David then says they are enemies of him. Let's look and see what David's talking about here. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. David asked God to slay the wicked, to slay the enemies of the Lord. He wants nothing to do. And he says, depart from me. And then in verse 20, he goes and says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. He describes there what the wicked are doing. Those who are enemies of God. Their intentions are malicious. They take the Lord's name in vain. One commentator I was studying, he even indicated that this could describe using the Lord's name for false 
or deceptive purposes. I would even say at times we, we, we see that. Sometimes you turn on TV and somebody is declaring the things of God and they are talking heresy. Another reason why we need to distinctly be careful and listening and watching to make sure we're discerning the right things. Things of the Scriptures. Verses 21 and 22 together say, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I don't know about you guys, but when I was reading through and studying this, I read this hatred and I needed to wrestle with what exactly is David talking about? What are you saying here, David? Because I think about what Jesus says in the Gospels. And when he's given the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about in Matthew 5, loving your enemies. These enemies of God, David is saying they are my enemies because they are your enemies, Lord. See, like, David, what are you saying? What is this hatred that you're talking about? This idea of hate here is to reject and oppose. And as I was thinking through that, I found this quote by John Piper, and it'll be on the screen. It's a little lengthy, but I wanted you to be able to see it. He gives some helpful thought on this. He says, we will grant the psalmist, usually David, who speaks under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as the foreshadowed Messiah and judge, the right to call down judgment on the enemies of God. This is not personal vindictiveness. It is a prophetic execution. What will happen in the last day when God casts all enemies into the lake of fire? Revelation 2015. We would do well to leave such final assessments to God and realize our own corrupt inability to hate as we ought. Let us tremble and trust God, lest we fail and find ourselves on the other side of the curse. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? See, we, we see that and we, and we hear what David is saying there. And, and as, as Piper points out there, it's not this personal vindictiveness. Like we're, we're not going out trying to do harm to those that are against the Lord. But it's also pointing to a future. According to the future time on the day of the Lord, when the day comes, Jesus returns and we are there at the final judgment. And those who are the enemies of God who are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus are cast into the lake of fire, eternal punishment. See, because the reality for each and every person that walks this planet is one of two eternal destinations. One is eternal life with God through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, and his finished work on Calvary's cross. Then there's the other reality, those who do not know Christ, the eternal separation from God, the gnashing of teeth, the reality of being alert and seeing and knowing that you are separated from God. It's continual. This is another reason why the mission of God is so important for us. This is why it's so important that we as Christ followers who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus do not just stop at saying, thank you for my salvation, O God. But we daily 
daily pursue the Lord. We daily, as we engage the scriptures, think about the people that we desperately want to see come to faith. We pray for them. We share the gospel with them. And prayerfully, they come to faith and they join the family of God. The mission is so important. It's so important that we point to the cross, that we tell people what Jesus has done, the good news of the gospel. And then let's end with 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to go ahead and give you a preview. We're not going to spend too much time on this right now because in two weeks during the Radical Prayer Series, we're going to look just at these two verses and understand just how impactful that request is of praying that to God. David knows how deceitful his heart can be. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful and wicked. He asks the Lord, search my heart, try my thoughts. He wants the Lord to make way of any grievous way. He's asking the Lord, make it known what sin is in my life that I need to repent of and flee. David's asking the Lord to examine him and convict him of that sin so that he can be led in the way everlasting. Let me ask a question. When's the last time we did this? Honestly. When's the last time that we said, you know what? Humbly, Lord, I come before you and I ask you to search my heart. You are all knowing. I know that you know the words before they even come out of my mouth. Therefore, I know that you know the thoughts that are coming into my mind. Search my thoughts. Search my heart. And Lord, convict me of that sin that is buried so deep down that I don't even realize it yet. When's the last time we prayed that? If it's been a while, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer and be prepared. Because he will answer that prayer. Don't just do it to do it. Don't just do it because I suggested you do it. Pray that the Lord would humble you to pray that prayer. And as he brings you to that place of understanding and seeing that, I encourage you to repent, to flee from whatever he may be bringing before you, and to follow him with cheerful, faithful obedience and a pursuit of holiness. I would even encourage you to get to the point to where not just to do it, to do it every day, but make it a daily discipline. Lord, search my heart. Try my thoughts. Help me to know what is there that I need to flee from. I want to ask you, do you understand the Lord knows us intimately? Do you understand that he's always there providing care? Do you understand that he's going to have the final word at the end of the age? If so, how do you respond to that truth? Are you weary and burdened by the weight of your sin that you are battling? 
If so, give it to the Lord. Are you so engulfed in your sin that you find it hard to even go to the Lord asking for him to search you? If that's the case, I pray that you would pray, Lord, begin to work in me that I may see the things that I need to see and flee from. Are you tired of running to and fro to find what can make you feel loved and accepted when the one that can give you that and so much more already knows you because he created you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know the one that fully knows you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you know us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who created us, who formed us in our mother's womb, who knows all our inward parts. Lord, you brought it all together. Lord, you know the things that we are going to speak before we even speak them. You know the thoughts that come into our minds. So, Lord, for everyone within the sound of my voice, God, I pray, Lord, that they would truly seek you, that we would ask you, Lord, to search my heart. That we would ask you, Lord, to try my thoughts. Lord, that we would ask you to please convict me of my sin. And Lord, please lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I pray, Lord, for the one that may be running today. I pray for the one that may feel broken and, and is looking for acceptance in every single thing known to man other than you. Lord, I pray that you would draw them near, that they would be yours. And Lord, that they may truly know what it means to be known by you. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.